It's a, it, it's a New Year celebration. It's a season for new beginnings. And oftentimes in this season of new beginnings, the gospel takes us to before the time before Jesus himself. And so often we look at the person of John the Baptist. And so for the next two Sundays, uh, we're going to be looking a little bit at the life and work and ministry of the one who came before Jesus, that is John the Baptist. And so we pick up in the third chapter of Matthew, if you have your Bibles, or if you got your cell phones with your Bible app on it, join along with us from Matthew's Gospel, the third chapter, where this is what we find. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. This is he who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the wilderness, Prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. Now John's clothes, they were made of camel's hair. He had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. And people went out from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not think you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. Now I baptize you with water for repentance, but after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand. He will clear his threshing floor. He will gather his wheat into the barn, burning up the chaff with unquenchable fire. This is the word of God for you and me, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Can you pray with me for me? Come, Lord Jesus. May John the Baptist's words touch not only hearts in the past, but may his words be active in our hearts too to help us sense where we need to be a part of your kingdom in deeper ways. We need to surrender in deeper ways. So, Lord Jesus, help me lift you up. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Now, in this part of human history, it's important to remember that in Israel, they had not had a real prophet of God in several hundred years. 200, 300, 400 years, things had been quiet, and they'd gone through hard times, and nations like uh, Rome and Greece had been ruling over them, and uh, making life a challenge for them. And so when this voice of a man crying out in the wilderness, repent, 
The kingdom of heaven is near. What we find is that the Israelites, they were hungry for a word from God. They were hungry to see what this new prophet was saying and what he was sharing and how God was moving and how they were to be a part in that journey. They were hungry for a word of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, in our communities, in our lives, in our world today, God has been able to accomplish the most among us when we too get hungry for a word from Him. It's that hunger that can catapult change, not just in a church, but in a whole community, in a whole state, in a whole nation, and across the whole world. And so today, we too want to hunger like them in the days of old. And to kind of share about this, one of the reasons why we're here in a Methodist church today is because there was a second season of great hunger for people in John Wesley's day. Those of you who know, John and Charles Wesley were the founders of the Methodist spiritual movement. And they really didn't start out to start a church. It's because hungry people came to John Wesley that we're here in church this morning. The story for us is in our own church discipline that records just a bit of our history. And in the history, this is what it says, that in the latter end of 1739, eight or ten people came to Mr. Wesley in London who appeared to be deeply convinced of sin and earnestly groaning for redemption. They desired, as did two or three more the next day, that he would spend some time with them in prayer, advise them how to flee from the wrath to come. Do you catch that phrase? We just read it in Matthew's Gospel. It may have been about this season of the year. Maybe they were in Advent and had heard this scripture read. And as a result, they came to Wesley saying, We are hungry. How do we escape being worthless, being burned up, being cast away because our lives have not been what God wanted for us? And this is what Wesley said. They desired, as did two or three the next day, that he would spend time with them in prayer, advise them how to flee from the wrath to come, and they, which they saw this wrath continually hanging over their heads. So that he might have more time for this great work, he appointed a day on Thursday. They would get together. They would pray together. They would talk together. They would act in ways that would help them figure out how to find God's salvation and be all God wanted, God wanted to call them to be. With those first 10 or 12 people, the Methodist movement now has become a growing movement of followers of Jesus that are now in the tens of millions. But it all started because people were hungry for a word from God. Are we hungry this morning? So, if you are hungry, the second thing is, is John the Baptist gives us the path to take to find our hunger satisfied. 
The first part of this is the word repent. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom is working. God is on the move. He is in charge. His rule and his reign are without question. He is moving in ways that we cannot see or foretell, but he wants to be moving near us, in us, through us, and out of us into this broken world. The question is, is will you and will I, will we let God in his kingdom in to rule in us? Will we say yes to surrender? If we're willing to say that yes of surrender, that's the first sign of the word repentance. And y'all, all the word repentance means is to be willing to say you know, after going down the wrong street over and over and over again, reaching a dead end after dead end after dead end, repentance means, you know what, I'm tired of hitting this dead end. I'm tired of circling the cul-de-sac over and over again. I think it's time I turn toward God and his kingdom and his power and his presence and begin to follow what he wants for me. Repentance just means a change of direction. But that's where our journey with the kingdom of heaven begins. And repentance isn't just a one-time deal for us when we say yes to Jesus as a young follower of Jesus, but repentance is a practice of Christians throughout all times and all places. Whenever we stumble, whenever we find ourselves at a dead end, whenever we see that we're broken, we come back to Jesus that he may turn us in his direction once again not only is his word for us a word of repentance but the second word that he shares with us is that they confessed their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan River the second movement toward God is a movement of confession and cleaning confession and cleaning if you look at it throughout history the times when God moves most in his power are times when his people are able to be honest about their own brokenness when we're able to be honest about messing up for instance uh, there was a, a move of the Holy Spirit back at my former seminary actually across the street at the college Asbury College in the early 70s and uh Robert Coleman recorded that in a little book called, I think, One Divine Moment or something like that. And in that book, he tells how during college chapel at Asbury campus in the early 70s, as they were leading chapel one day, they'd been praying for weeks, they'd been praying for months, but they came upon a moment where people just felt moved by the Holy Spirit to say, you know what? I've blown it. I've been doing things I shouldn't be doing. I've made a mess of my life, and I'm sorry. And one after other, people started coming forward and confessing. And God began to move on that college campus and other campuses in ways that the media eventually noticed and went there to find out what was going on in the weeks ahead. Whenever God moves, there is, we have to come to a place where we see that we need forgiveness. Now, whether that's confessing to God or being open and honest with someone we love, those moments are 
There are special and sacred moments, important moments in this journey. But as we confess, the good news is, is that we can be washed clean and set free. The third part of the journey is not just repentance and confession of sin, but it's the moment of baptism. Baptism is a washing, a cleansing, a realization that, you know what, I need a second chance. I need to be set free of the past so that I can move into the future. And there was no better way to do that than as John the Baptist began this holy washing that they already practiced in small ways in Israel. But he began to expand it and say, this washing represents our desire to break from the past and to move in a new direction, the direction of the kingdom. And so today, it's just as important for us to remember our baptism. Or if we haven't been baptized, to say, you know what? It's time for me to break with the past. I want to be baptized in the name of Jesus so that I can have a chance to start a new life. Baptism is the beginning of our following Jesus journey. And then the last part he tells us about is that repentance must follow with fruit. Repentance must follow with fruit. That is, we can't just say we're going to do this. It needs to be, there needs to be a change in what we do. There needs to be a change in our life. There needs to be a change in how we talk and how we pray and how we treat our family and how we treat our neighbors and how we treat our coworkers. There needs to be a clear break where we begin to do new things. And so in this story, we hear the story about these Pharisees and Sadducees who came to see what John the Baptist was up to. Now, I want you to understand who the Pharisees and the Sadducees are. They were like the perfect people of Israel, right? They were. They're the ones who went to synagogue every Saturday. They were the ones who were known to worship, and they were blessed. They were middle class or upper class, and they were the leaders and the rulers, and they had the power, and they, they were the ones that were considered sort of the, the shepherds of Israel. But when they come to John the Baptist, he turns to them as well and says, Listen, guys. I know you look great on the outside. I know everybody thinks your lives are perfect and your families are perfect and everything else is perfect. But you need repentance just as much as everybody else. Even if you're in the pew on Sunday morning, you need repentance too. What is John the Baptist saying? We all need repentance. I am not exempt. You're not exempt. None of us are exempt. None of our families are perfect. None of our lives are really perfect. And it's better that we begin to be honest about that with each other rather than fake it all the time. And so he says, listen, y'all, y'all are just, you're nothing but snake babies growing into evil serpents yourselves. Because you can put on a good show, you can look pretty fake, but really, you got to look to your tree. What kind of fruit are you really producing in your life? Make sure the fruit you're producing is good fruit. Because trees that don't produce fruit, people that don't produce fruit are going to be burned up. And one day, Jesus is going to gather in the wheat and he's going to cast out the chaff. And we want to be the wheat a whole lot more than the chaff. And in those moments, we learn the lesson that our lives are to have fruit in our repentance. And you know what? That's also part of our Methodist heritage. We have been a heritage that has 
clearly kind of said, this is what fruit looks like of repentance. And we call that the three general rules. Some of you know the three general rules of following Jesus and being a Methodist Christian. It's our fruit of repentance. The first rule is do no harm. I'm going to read you what Wesley said were the kind of things not to do 300 years ago. Many of them are similar to today, but some are a little different. But this is what he says. First, do no harm. Avoid evil of every kind, especially that which is most generally practiced like these things. One, don't take the name of God in vain. Two, don't profane the day of the Lord, either by doing ordinary work on there or buying or selling on the day of the Lord. Well, we could probably kind of think about that a little more than we do today, don't we? Anyway, drunkenness, don't buy or sell spiritous liquors. Don't drink them unless you need it for extreme cases. Slaveholding, don't buy and sell slaves. I'm glad we gave that up, though we can still learn how to love our neighbors a little better than we have in the past. Fighting, quarreling, brawling, other going, going to law, suing one another, returning evil for evil, railing for railing, and using many words in buying or selling. Don't buy or sell goods that haven't paid the tax. Don't give or take things with unlawful amount of interest. Don't be uncharitable of that unlawful amount of interest. I know the, there are a lot of pawn shops out there and a lot of other things out there that kind of take advantage of people. We've got to think about that uncharitable unprofitable conversation particularly speaking evil of government leaders or of pastors and ministers doing to others as they would not as they should not do to us doing what we know is not for the glory of god like putting on gold and costly apparel by taking such diversions as cannot be used in the name of the lord jesus by singing songs or reading books don't, that don't help us get to know or love god better softness and needless self-indulgence laying up treasure upon earth borrowing without the probability of paying it back or taking up goods without the probability of paying for them it is expected of all who continue in these societies that they should continue to show evidence for their salvation secondly okay the first one is what do no harm second one is do good by being in every kind merciful after their power as they have opportunity doing good of every possible sort as far as possible to all people do good to their bodies the ability which god gives by giving food to the hungry clothing the naked visiting or helping them that are sick or in prison doing good to their souls by teaching reproving encouraging all that have any intercourse with trampling underfoot the doctrine that says we don't have to do good things unless we're led to do good things by doing good especially to them that are of the household of faith and groaning to be uh, doing good to those uh, working with other christians blessing their businesses other things like that all possible diligence and frugality that the gospel be not blamed running with patience the race that is set before them by denying themselves taking up their cross daily submitting to bear reproach for jesus sake to be as filth and off-scouring of the world, looking that people should say all manner of evil of, against us falsely for Jesus' sake. All right, so that's number one, do no harm. Number two, do good. Number three, do the things God tells us to do. That is, worship God, support the ministry of the word, either read or expounded, the supper of Jesus, 
family and private prayer, searching the scriptures, fasting or abstinence. These are the rules of all our societies of which we are taught of God to observe, even in his written word, which is the only and sufficient rule of our faith and practice. And all these we know his spirit writes on truly awakened hearts. So brothers and sisters, that's what repentance looks like. It looks like not harming anyone, doing good to everyone, and doing the things God calls us to do, praying, worshiping, growing in the scriptures, and living a life for his glory. Then the last piece. The last piece, he says, is something that John the Baptist couldn't do for him. Only Jesus could. And that is that Jesus would come bringing the Holy Spirit in fire. He would give us a gift that will help us choose the path of the kingdom. And that path is the presence and power of the Spirit to fill our hearts and lives, to shape us for his glory, to help us discern his will, to do what he wants us to do, to follow what he wants us to follow, to listen for his voice, to let him guide our lives. I close uh, with uh, just kind of one final example of this, and uh, it's a fellow story named Richard Maxson. Richard was a young man who was running down a dead end for his early ages in his 20s. He loved to party. He would party all week long, and he would try not to get in too much trouble, but he still got in plenty. And he would... Well, I mean, his family lived like 15 minutes away, but he was hardly ever there. And when he was there, he didn't want to be there. He wanted to be somewhere else. But as he continued to party and continued to party, he found that it wasn't quite as fun as it used to be. He began getting hungry for something else. And then uh, there was a girl in his life, and the girl in his life wanted to go to church, crazy thing. So he thought, well, if I want to get to know her, I guess I need to go too. So while Richard was at church, he would go Sunday after Sunday, but as he went, he'd keep feeling guilty that here are these people that were wanting to be better, and he just wanted to party. And so finally he, he said, you know what? Whatever comes next that the church offers, I'll just I'll jump in and I'll do it. And they had a course which some of you may have heard, it's the Alpha Course. But it's a course on basic following Jesus, basic Christian faith. He saw it, he signed up, and he started going. The first week he went to Alpha, they had a, you know, the program and the small group. Then after that, he went out and partied all night. The second week, they did this program, the small group. After that, he went out and partied all night. The third week, he did it, the small group, went out and partied all night. But later on that week, he he did one of the things that was kind of still on his list. You know, I'll never do that. So he felt really guilty. He felt really bad. And he's like, you know what? I don't know that this party life is all I thought it was going to be. And so that fourth week, he came back to Alpha. And during their time together, he began to pour out his heart in terms of how he was living his life. He thought that his group would jump on him and say, man, you're a bad guy. I can't believe you'd do that. That's foolish. You know, but No. They put their arms around him. They prayed for him. They encouraged him. They said, listen, God still loves you. Don't give up. 
Because of this, he went on the little retreat that goes with the, the, the course. And at that retreat, he began to be introduced to what Jesus came to do through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what he said was, you know, God, if you're real, I got nothing else to do, so why don't you show up and we'll see what happens next. And on that weekend, God showed up. The kingdom came near. The Holy Spirit appeared. And he says he experienced God's love in a powerful way. He was convinced that he was really loved, even him. He was loved by the one who made him. And he would never, ever have to feel or be alone again. When he got back from the retreat, he found he was a different person. He started to do different things. He started to pray. He started to read his Bible. He quit partying. He started to enjoy hanging out with his family. And you know what? His little brother noticed it the most. His little brother came up to him and said, Listen, I don't know what's happened to you. All I know is whatever has happened to you, I want to have too. So his little brother went on the next Alpha course and began to follow Jesus too. After that, he began to find his calling. It started out by, you know, he didn't want to pay for a barber to cut his hair, so he'd cut his own hair. But as he cut his own hair, people would say, I like your haircut. Who did it? Oh, I did it. Oh, well, can you cut my hair? So he started cutting people's hair. Then he got trained to cut people's hair. He figured, I, I probably really ought to know what I'm doing when I do this. And uh, one of the things that the you know, training said is don't talk about faith. Don't talk about politics. But in his ministry, God kept bringing him people. And they'd talk about what's going on with their lives this week. And he would just keep bringing up how Jesus had changed his life. Brothers and sisters, this is what the kingdom does. This is what it looks like. And here we see in Richard's life that hunger for something more. We see the willingness to break from the past and become someone new. We see a life that begins to take hold in ways that he chooses different way of life than he did before. And the Holy Spirit begins to make him into a new person. And this is good news. And this is for us. And so this morning as we come to communion, this is our time to say, Lord, where do I need to change directions? Where have I gotten off course? Where have I not listened to you? Where am I not obeying you? Where is there pride in my heart? Where am I not being kind and generous to others? This is our moment at the table to find grace in Christ and for him to point us in a new direction so that we may produce more fruit tomorrow than we have today. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Lord, let it be. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your goodness and mercy today. Let your Holy Spirit come, touch, and fill our hearts and lives. And Lord, if anyone's here who, who just is convicted and feels like, you know what? I feel like I'm at a dead end today. Lord, whether they're here or online, help them begin to offer to you their heart and life in a way that will help them turn in a new direction. Experience your forgiveness. Be filled with your grace. Be strengthened in your love. And Lord, help us to bear the right fruit 
that we may be your wheat. We may help others to become wheat too. In the precious and powerful name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.